Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Your source for college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide. Hi, everybody. AJ Hodell, CEO and founder of the Athletic Scholarship Corporation, found on the web at www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com and collegeshowcases.com. Today I've got a legendary coach here, uh, and I'm actually going to have some fun on this one, Coach Andy Lopez. He's a former head coach, stopped at some big schools, ran some big programs. Uh, the latest stop was at Arizona, won national championship, won the most titles at various schools, one of the few coaches in history to do that, and Coach of the Year. Um, coach, welcome to the show. My pleasure, AJ. Thanks for having me. Let's um, talk about just your coaching background real quick so the listeners have an idea of your, your credibility and just where you've been in this uh, you know span of, of coaching career. Okay. Uh, well, I was really I was kind of a unique guy. I started as a high school coach in 1978, I think it was. I was a high school baseball coach in Los Angeles. I'm from Los Angeles. I played shortstop at UCLA, was drafted in the ninth round. That's another story in itself. I didn't sign a pro contract, so I went right into, right into education, and it was kind of a, uh, I could be really candid with you, it was, it was a, I thought it was a prank phone call. I thought it was a prank <laughs> phone call. Yeah, I did, from a buddy of mine. We used to play jokes on each other, and lo and behold, after I hung up on the first phone call, I was, I was thank God, the, the Dick Jacobson, the superintendent of schools in the South Bay Union High School District, out in, right by LAX Airport there in Manhattan Beach, California, to be exact, beautiful location. He called me back about a minute after I hung up and said, is this Andy Lopez? And I said, oh, my goodness, could we please start this conversation over again? And so I was a varsity baseball coach for five years. I uh, was fortunate enough to have good players, and the Lord took care of me, and I ended up getting a job offer from a place called Cal State Dominguez Hills, a Division II program there in Los Angeles. It was not a very good program, and quite candidly, I turned the job down three days in a row and then took it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I took it, and uh, we were really lucky. We went to a College World Series my fourth or fifth year there in Division II baseball. Uh, beat some real good programs as a back then. Now back then, Division two schools could play Division one schools. There was no RPI uh, in in the mix, so to speak. So we would play Arizona, UCLA, SC, Pepperdine, all the big schools as a Division two school. And, um, and again, I was lucky. The Lord took care of me again. I had good players and good coaches. We went to a Division two World Series and then got off at the Pepperdine job. And once again, blessed. My fourth year there, we won the national title. Beat Cal State Fullerton and Coach Garrido. In Omaha, Nebraska, uh, beat a three to two in 1992. After that, I kind of became the, the flavor of the month, as you usually do if you win a national championship. And I was offered a few jobs nationally. I now got married and have uh, four kids. And uh, I took the University of Florida job in 1995. Went to uh, really lucky there, boy. I had an unbelievable freshman recruiting class. Names like uh, David Ross, who's on dancing with the stars right now. David Ross. Uh, Mark Ellis, 14-year big leaguer with the Open A's. Uh, David Eckstein, uh, big leaguer, two-time world champion. Uh, Brad Wilkerson, uh, center field of the Olympic gold medal team and also big leaguer for about 14 years. Josh Fogg, pitching the World Series for the uh, Colorado Rockies. Uh, th that was my first class there. So in 1996, we finished third in the nation in Omaha. 
And then their junior their junior year, we went to Omaha in 1998, and they were the number one team in the nation going in there. And as as happens, and I've experienced it on both ends, we were the I thought we were the best team there in 1998, quite candidly. And uh, you know, five or six big leaguers, but we didn't play well. We didn't play well in the World Series, and I'll take full responsibility for that. We did not win a national title. And then I was in Florida for a couple more years and took the Arizona job and was fortunate enough to go to Omaha my third year here with Mark Melanson, who's posing for the Giants right now, and Nick Hundley, which is kind of neat. He's uh, Buster Posey's backup catcher, so I've had a chance to watch those two guys catch for me in, in college baseball and now catch in the big leagues with each other because Melanson closes. And a few other guys have made it to the big leagues, Jason Donald, Jordan Brown, and some other guys that um, and during that era. And then again, in 2012, we won the national title here at the University of Arizona, and then uh, the next year I had an open-heart surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah I read, that. Surgery. I read yeah. that. I had an open-heart surgery, and that kind of cut my career short a little bit, so I decided it was time to, to get away from the stress and and um, and just kind of do what I'm doing now, and that's I'm a Pac-12 baseball analyst, and uh, and I'm mentoring at-risk kids two days a week here in Tucson, Arizona, kids that parents are in prison or on drugs and just trying to give them a little bit of, uh, of a push in the right direction. But through my time, I was fortunate. I was National Coach of the Year three times. Uh, myself and Augie Garrido at Texas, who retired last year, Coach Garrido and our good friend, we're the only two coaches in the history of college baseball to win national titles at two different places. Uh, myself at Pepperdine, Arizona. He at Fullerton in Texas. And I'm one of only three coaches in the history of college baseball to take three different programs to the College World Series. That would be Pepperdine, Florida, and University of Arizona. So I'm uh, blessed in many, many ways. Did it for a long time, 33 years to be exact at the college level, and had a lot of good players, a lot of good coaches, and, and a lot of good experiences. So the moral of the story of that segment for the student-athletes is answer your darn phone. Guys, they don't yeah. answer the phone. They want to text. And what's funny is you made me laugh. And I just basically threw my show notes away because I know I'm going to go off path here. But back in the, in the 90s and 92, I was a, a, a big prospect in football recruiting. And I used to always prank call my teammates. And one yep. time I decided it would be really funny to call here in Cleveland, where I'm from, Cleveland, Ohio. We have Cleveland State, which you know. They have a baseball program. Right. They're pretty good. Yeah. They don't have a football team. We don't have a football team. We probably never <laughs> will. But it's a concrete jungle, and it's a baseball school, basketball school. And I called a kid, one of my teammates, and said, you know, I'm Coach So-and-so from Cleveland State. We want to offer you a full ride. He went to school the next day and told everybody, and then we just – we're like, guy, you know, they don't even offer football. <laughs> so it's funny that you, you guys used to prank. Right. But, you know, yeah. kids today, they don't answer their phone or they don't have their voicemail set up. And I'm thinking, you guys as coaches don't have time to chase a guy. You've got plenty of guys that, oh, you know, yeah. you, could, you oh, know, yeah. check the boxes and recruit. So oh, yeah. how's that no, change? I, I, Go ahead. I shared that a lot with my players over the years. Bobby Ramirez was a guy in San Pedro, California, Los Angeles, California, but the little town of San Pedro is a poor town. We used to make prank phone calls with each other. And thank God Mr. Jacobson, Dick Jacobson to be exact, called me back because I, that's, I mean, that's how I got in the profession. So I agree with you. Yeah, and one thing, I know you're retired. You're not really governed or, or you have to abide by really the NCAA, but I do want to give the disclosure right. everybody for sports information for his past universities and himself that he's not endorsing any product or service. We're just simply having dialogue, talking about recruiting and training and different topics that come about, but I know the NCAA, um, it's big business. College sports is a big business, and I try to educate parents and athletes and even high school coaches that if you don't win 
where you're not in those political games at some schools, and obviously you dealt with it at Florida, that you know even if you're winning, your your you know your job isn't always secure. Well, you know, this is the way. I, whenever I've been asked to go speak at conventions and things of that nature, you know, just do things. When I see young coaches out there, I explain it this way quite candidly, AJ. I said, you know, I started as a high school coach, and when you're in the high school level, for the most part, you're swimming with guppies. You know, a little guppy runs by and it tickles you. You know, and by that I mean alumni or administration or, or what have you. It's a you're, you're swimming with guppies. And then in Division Two baseball, I was at Division Division Two baseball for about six years. You're swimming with bigger guppies, just bigger guppies. You know, alumni, administration, media, just bigger guppies. Pepperdine University, Christian campus, 3,000 students, tiny, tiny campus, no baseball, no football program to speak of whatsoever. Great place, fantastic place. And I'm not endorsing Pepperdine, I'm just saying my experience there was fantastic. Obviously, we won a national championship there. But, but again, you're swimming with, you know, you're swimming with maybe a, a few carp, you know, you know bigger guppies, uh, you know, a tuna every now and then, right, a tuna. And then you go to the University of Florida, you go to the University of Arizona, Division I Baseball, Power 5 conferences. Point blank, gentlemen, you're swimming with sharks. Mm -hmm. You're swimming with sharks. Yeah, you are swimming with sharks now. You better win. Uh, you better graduate your guys. You better treat the alumni good. You better make sure that the, the so-called two or three guys that are really funding your program or funding other programs are taken care of. And if they call and they want to meet with you, you better meet with them. You better meet with them. Um, you get on the wrong side of administration or administrator per se, um, you know, you're, 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 you're making a bad move from that standpoint. And, and that was one thing that happened to me at the University of Florida, quite candidly. But, you know, it's, it's life, and you learn from them. You learn from those experiences. Again, I have a great relationship, even, even with the, my athletic director of Florida. Uh, I still have a very good relationship with him because I learned through it and, and you know, when life moved on. But, but you know, I have a son right now who started his coaching career at Howard College, a junior college in, uh, in Texas, uh, outside of Midland, Texas, and, and I've shared with him, you know, hey, listen, these are the things that if you choose to go to the Division One level, you're going to have to deal with. If you don't go to the Division One level, you probably won't have to deal with that much. But, you know, it's what you choose to do or what you choose not to do. Well, I mean, obviously the compensation is all relative to the, the higher level and the winning programs are going to have a little more money to – to, to, to spend and, and keep the right talent, the right facilities. I mean, basically the NCAA, I didn't hear from them the first three years. Here we are 13 years later, and I hear from them all the time about compliance and just double-checking things, and I've kind of recoined them as um, no one can accrue assets um, is, is what I call them. But, you know, it is what it is. They're, they're the big gorilla, and it's gotten so restricted and, and so complex, the recruiting calendars and the processes and contact periods. It's, I mean, it's definitely has changed, obviously, for you over the years. You've seen it where it used to be tapes and VHS tapes and bulky things coming in down to digital now. I mean, did you use social media towards the end? or I, I'm oh, sure yeah, you, you guys, big time, yeah. Yeah, you had to. No, I had. I, like I said, I worked at the level for 33 years at the college level, and so – I went from a world where, uh, quite candidly, let's just be real blunt about this, in 1992, you could go out and start recruiting for next fall. So in other words, in 1992, you could go out in January and February and start recruiting. I would go to Blair Field in Long Beach, California, a couple of the places in Southern California, 
and you would start recruiting that young man, and that was in January, though. February, March, April, May, June, July, in six months, seven months, that young man was going to be in your program. So you started recruiting that young man, and seven months later, he was going to be in your program. Okay, that was in 1992, uh, one. In 1992, I'll be very candid, I was making $45,000 a year and we just won the national championship. I was national coach of the year at a school that had never, ever, ever dreamed they could do that. 3,000 students. Um, some people say it's a small school, individual in baseball, ever win a national title. And I was making $45,000 a year. My last year at Arizona, I was making twice that much and it wasn't even coming from my university. It was coming from a separate contract. Mm -hmm. and that, was, that was just separate pay from a... From a different situation, okay? Legal, but a different situation. Right. And, you know, my wife and I have been married for 34 years, so she billed me for my entire college life in terms of college baseball. And we would sometimes scratch our head and think, my goodness, did you ever think? And again, now, I did not pursue these jobs. They called me. Every one of the jobs that I took, they called me and said, would you like to be our baseball coach? I said, sure, I'd love to do it. Um, so I never was really a, um, you know, I never was, I mean, everything that came my way, I was shocked. I was amazed at at the amount of money they were paying us, you know, and, and what have you. And, and that's true. If you talk to any of the old-timers, they'll tell you, you know, we did it for thirty-five, dollars $40,000 a year. Nowadays, my goodness, I mean, you know, you're seeing million-dollar contracts with all baseball coaches now. So it, that's a different world as well. And, you know, you go into the recruiting thing again, yeah. I, I mean, I remember getting BCRs and things like that, and now, my God, there's just so many things that you – my last couple years at Arizona, you, you get anything you want when you need it, and, via email or the social media or all the rest. And, and the other reality is, you know, I just, I'm doing Pac-12 baseball right now, baseball analyst. So I was at Utah, uh, Utah BYU last Tuesday, uh, a week ago yesterday. Uh, it got rained out, but I was down there. And I'm good friends with the Utah coaching staff. And uh, we were sitting there laughing because the game was going to get rained out. And, um, and the young assistant who's a recruiting coordinator said, you know, I'm going to JV high, high school JV games now, Coach. And I went, what? Goes, yeah. yeah, I'm going to high school JV games. And I said, you got to be kidding me. My last couple of years, we were recruiting sophomores in high school, I'll admit. And, and, uh, and that's the story itself, you know, the verbal commitments and what have you. I mean, that's, that's you know, I have my own opinion on that. That's, you know, I think that's, a, that's suicide in both directions, in my opinion. But, you know, it all depends on what side of the street you're on. You know, the kid can break his commitment or the school can come back later and break their commitment, so to speak. So, you know, that that that, that usually ends in a, in a bad situation for the most part. I basically tell so parents it's, it's worthless. It's tough because you're trying to mentor a young man or young lady in this process that your word is good and a handshake is still good. But in reality, it isn't in this circumstance no. because... It, it you know at any time the romance and there's a there's a, a sexier model coming by you know it's oh, yeah. I always tell oh, the guys yeah. it's like dating you go in a room and 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 there's beautiful women everywhere how do you commit to one right away you gotta you know right. figure out other things like personality intelligence you drive motivation just like what the university offers how are you gonna treat me yeah. where's my career placement what happens if I'm injured all those things right. that nobody really asks. But the verbal stuff and the media, and now you got guys jumping out of parachutes for signing day, saying I'm committing to this school. I, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy, and ESPN yeah. loves it. They love it. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you know. Here, here's a true, true, just the reality that, that I live, AJ. Is that in 1976, I was a starting shortstop at UCLA. I was drafted in the ninth round by the Detroit Tigers. 
there weren't the Toronto Blue Jays or the Tampa Bay Devil Ray or the Rays or what have you, or uh, you know all the expansion teams. They didn't exist in 1976. They didn't exist. I was the 82nd player drafted in America. So you know, top 100 players in America. I'm I'm in it. I'm a shortstop at UCLA. One is I got a Western Telegram telling me I was drafted. Okay, I was the 82nd, 82nd player drafted in America. I got a telegram from Western Telegram saying, you've been drafted, we'll be contacting you in the next 48 hours. Okay, one. Two, I did get an agent three weeks after the draft. Three weeks after the draft, I got an agent. Okay? Okay. My last year of coaching in college baseball, I had a roster of 35 athletes. 21 of 35 had advisors. Yeah, business. Not agents. Yeah, right. The advisor is going to tell them where they think they can roll into the draft or where they think their value is. They're evaluators, basically. Yeah. Now, they're not agents until they sign a big league contract and then they become agents. But prior to that, they're advisors. They're advisors. Right. You know. So there's a reality that I'm drafted in 1976. I'm a starting shortstop, captain of the team at UCLA. I get drafted three weeks after the draft. I get an agent. I had freshmen. I had freshmen coming into my program that I wasn't even sure were going to play that year, and they already had an advisor. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've been emailing each other back and forth about that, the dynamics of the athlete, student-athlete, even the parents, and just evaluation is so different. People do not, I'd say 70%, 7 out of 10 kids that I see and deal with over 13 years, they don't even know how to evaluate themselves or compare where they can fit. And I always tell them, hey, if you could go to USC and, and get a four-year deal, which those aren't in existence either, but let's say you sit and you never get to play, would you rather go somewhere you have an opportunity where you actually fit and can flourish? Because if you sit and never play and you love that sport, it's going to be detrimental to your college experience. And they don't get that. Right. They think they all can right. play until they step on the field and go, uh-oh. That, that ball's coming faster. I can't get in front of everything. I can't do these things, and, I, and I'm not the top guy anymore. You know, going, coming out, right. All-American, this, that, and the other. I play travel this, travel that, and then you get there, and everybody's great. The whole roster's right. great, and right. they're just not prepared for it, and that's why we do the, the shows and the, and the you know speaking arrangements that we do. Um, in regards to social media, and, and I know that was, you know, really you leverage it, at the latter part of your career, did you run across anything a kid did on social media or, or people on your staff that you just said, kid's talented, check the boxes, but I got to social media and I just said, I don't want to deal with this? Uh, annually. Quite candidly, annually. And, I, and I'm sorry to say that. I'm, I'm really, really, it breaks my heart to say that. And again, I'm 64 years old. Uh, I started coaching when I was 23 years of age and, you know, went all the way. So you know, the, the whole thing changed and the world changed and, and everything else. Even 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 doing this interview with you, I'm, I'm doing this interview with you and I've got a cell phone sitting on my lap. You know what I mean? Right, I right. Mean, you know, I mean, I, I turn to my wife all the time. I said, Linda, why do we have this, these phones? I mean, we don't even use them anymore. You know, the landline phones, nobody calls them except telemarketers. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, annually. Annually, someone would do something that one of my assistants would tell me about and uh, in fact, I've got one guy right now that's in the big leagues, 
that did not come. I took uh, my offer off the table around the middle of July of his senior year. Uh, we had met with the young man, said, hey, look, you got you, you got to clean some of this stuff up on social media. Uh, that's not the way we do things in Arizona. And, um, you know, you got to do this. And, you know, two weeks later, there's more garbage on social media. And, um, and, I, and I remember calling him up. And to be very candid, just the local scout in the area um, called me and said, you're making a huge mistake. You know, you're making a huge, this guy is going to be a suit. And I, you know, I, I know he is. And to be real honest, he was an All-American at a university in, in, uh, in this country, a very good university. He hit, you know, hit a lot of home runs. He was an All-American. He was a first-round draft pick. And he never played a day at the University of Arizona. Um, and it was all because of that. It was all because of that. And, and you, you know, it just. And, and you gave him a shot. Good. You gave him a shot to clean it up. That's more than most coaches yeah. do. Yeah. No, we we met with them and said, look, at, you know, I, you know, I always I always live by this creed that you know, I have a responsibility to take care of you, the individual. Okay. So this young man, his name is uh, we'll say his name is Robert. It's not Robert, but Robert. I have a responsibility, and I would say it's Robert. Listen, we found out there's some things going on with your social media, and you know, but I have a responsibility because you've made a commitment to me, and I've made a commitment to you, uh, and you signed the national letter of intent. You have signed the national letter of intent, so I'm going to honor that. But I'm going to tell you something. My commitment to you right now is I want to tell you that these are the things that you, we will not we will not accept whatsoever at the University of Arizona. And understand something now, you can ask anybody that ever played baseball for me, from David Eckstein at the University of Florida, to Mark Melanson with the Giants right now, their closer at the University of Arizona, to Craig Grayback with 12 years in the big leagues as a five foot six shortstop in the big leagues, and Ozzy Guillen's backup at Dominguez Hills, to Jimmy Pena who pitched 10 years in the big leagues, who threw for me in high school at Maricosa High School, all these guys in different times and different realms. Steve Rodriguez was my second baseman. He's not a head coach at Baylor University. He was my second baseman at Pepperdine when we won the national title. You can ask any of those individuals, how many rules did Coach Lopez have in his program? And they will tell you two rules. Be on time and do things right. That was it. That was it. For 38 years as a head coach, five at high school level, 33 college, I had two rules. Be on time, do things right. Now, the be on time is very simple. Be on time. To do things right, I said, was going to be a learning experience. You're going to learn that, you know what, you don't miss study hall. That's doing it wrong. You go to study hall, that's doing it right. Be on time, do things right. You hustle in practice everywhere. You don't walk to stations. You run to stations. That's learning how to do things right. And so I would go to a young man like this young man. I said, Robert, you know, you're going to come to this program. There's two rules. Be on time, do things right. You don't put things like that on Facebook and social media, da, da, da. That's doing it wrong. We want you to learn how to do things right. So I have an obligation to you right now to see you make some adjustments and start doing things right. And then two weeks later, I called him back up and I said, you know what? My obligation now is to my program. Yeah. So I, 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 made my, I made my obligation to you, but now my obligation is to my program and to the players that are in the program and those that are doing it right. So you know what? We're going to make a decision. It's not going to be very comfortable, not going to be very popular. Uh, I'm going to release you from your letter of intent, and I wish nothing but the best. And you'll have 10 offers by the time this phone call hangs up. And he did. He did. He was a dynamite player. Like I said, first-round pick out of, out, of, uh, out of college. And, uh, and he's in the big leagues right now. So, and more power to him, and, and I hope that you know, things have changed. But at that time of life, 
he, he had a hard time doing things right. And like I said, we had two rules, be on time and do things right. Well, I mean, some of it's foolishness, just like here in Cleveland, you know, the beloved Browns are, you know, again, the worst team in football, and they've got the number one pick. And then we got a young man that's in town that decides to get involved in questionable activity and maybe charge with rape, maybe not, but you shouldn't even be in that conversation. Correct. You should not put yourself in any situation where that could even be in the conversation at all. Right. And, right. and that's that's the thing that these student-athletes don't understand is that you've got to be so far and so displaced from all this because of the video cameras, the cell phones, and the technology. You know, they've got streets now with cameras everywhere, so if you think you're going to get away, sure. away with something, you're not. But So when you were recruiting student-athletes, what was the maybe the three core values or three attributes that you really – looked for that you and I know there's more we've always got a ton yeah. that we want but what were the top three in, in your opinion that you looked for uh, you know I'm not gonna be foolish one was talent yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know I, I was I was really good as a baseball coach when I had good players like boy I was really smart okay so you know when Mark Melanson was closing for me in, in 2004 2005 2006 or David Eckstein and Mark Ellis was my shortstop and second baseman at, uh, in 96, 97, 98 at Florida, I was really smart. I was a really smart coach. Um, but anyway, so you look for talent. Right out of the shoot, you look for talent. But then right after that, now you start looking for character. And what I mean by character, everybody has a different thing. But for me, was, how did he treat his parents? How did he treat his little brothers or sisters? How did he treat his high school coach? How did he treat his summer coach? In other words, what kind of relationship did he have? We would do our homework. We would watch. I, I always asked for uh, when they made official visits or unofficial visits. I always, I never, I never wanted a young man to come on his own unless it was an extenuating circumstance. But for the most part, I bet in the 33 years I recruited, I bet I could count on one hand how many times we had a player come in on his own. I wanted to see him come in with his parents, how he interacted with them, because my analogy was this. If he didn't take their guidance or their say, or if he treated them disrespectfully, how in the heck was he going to treat me or one of my young assistants with any respect? So that wasn't going to match up, and we knew that right out of the gate. And then, uh, and then the other thing was, uh, quite candidly, and this is going to sound crazy, but I used to tell my staff all the time, once we get to know this young man, whoever was the main recruiter in that thing, if it was me or one of my assistants, is this a guy that you'd like to go hang out with? Like, in other words, would you like to go hang out? Would you like to go spend a weekend with this guy? Would you like to go to a game with this guy? Not that you would, but would you like to hang out with this guy? Because if you don't, if you say to me, boy, this guy's really talented coach, and, you know, he treats his parents pretty well, and he teaches high but, man, I, you know, no, I wouldn't want to be around this guy at all except for two hours on the field. That, that was a red flag for me. That was a red flag for me. In other words, what was it about him that you didn't like? You know, what was going on? Because my opinion was, you know, you got this chemistry that you're trying to develop in a 35-man roster. So if you've got a couple guys that nobody likes, that's going to be kind of tough, unless they are super talented, obviously. Uh, but at the college level, I mean, you know, you're, you're pretty equal. You're pretty equal. Guys that show up in college show up for a simple reason. They weren't offered $2 million out of high school. You know, anybody that's offered $2 million out of high school is going to sign and move on to pro ball. That means they're a little bit short. They're a little bit short in that $2 million draft pick. So so we got to have some chemistry. we got to make sure we get along and, and be successful. It's funny you said that because years ago I had one of the 
top football recruits that we managed in, and he was two-time Mr. Ohio and had all the stats, gaudy numbers, six foot four quarterback. And the dad said, I can't get my hands around it. Why isn't he getting the offers? And I said, he doesn't have that aura that you require out of a quarterback. And he looked at me like he didn't understand because he didn't play the game. I know when I played and I got in the huddle, you got to look at everybody in that huddle and say, I'm ready to, to get injured, die, bleed, whatever we got to do to get this done as a team. And that just wasn't the guy that commanded it. He ended up going on to college, but he didn't have just that leadership or that aura. So it's, it's ironic you brought that up about chemistry and, and do you want to spend time together? Because if you don't, you, you know, it's, it's just not going to work out. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I can share this with you, AJ, real quick. It's one of the greatest stories in my coaching, 38 years of coaching. In 2012, we had a young man named Alex Mejia. Mejia. He's, in, uh, he's, in, he's in AA right now with the St. Louis Cardinals organization in Springfield, uh, Missouri. But uh, Alex Mejia was a shortstop. I knew his dad from L.A., and his dad was tough and a great player. He played at Pepperline when I went to UCLA, ironically. And uh, so Mejia, Alex, shows up in my summer camp as a high school senior, and I see the name on the back, and I go, wait a minute, are you related? And he says, yeah, that's my dad. He told me to say hello to you because I, I became friends with his father, Carlo. Long story short, this young man comes into the program and just in, just takes over the shortstop position, takes it over. In 2012, we were not the best team in college baseball by any stretch of the imagination. Okay? No, no. And it's, not, it's very rarely does the best team win that national title. It's who is playing the best for two weeks in Omaha, okay? Uh, I experienced both ends of it. In 1998, I can honestly say I think we were the best team. I had five big leaguers on that team in 1998, and we didn't win a national title. 1992, we were not the best team, but we played the best for two weeks in Omaha. 2012, we played the best for two weeks. But here's the story on leadership. In, in 2012 at the University of Arizona, I had a young man, a freshman, who was a retro freshman, and he was injured. But prior to his injury, he was a uh, very selfish, very narcissistic, very it's-all-about-me type of player. And it was very evident. It was very evident. I was very, very fortunate with that group. I had, you know, three or four guys right now that are in the big leagues from that group, and they were great young men, Joey Ricker, Robert Restiner, Alex Mejia. But, but Mejia is the key I'm going I'm to delve on. But he was not being recruited by anybody out of high school very extensively. He wanted to go to Pepperdine, ironically, because his dad played at Pepperdine, and Pepperdine didn't make an offer to him. I made an offer to him because he was in my summer camp here in Tucson. It was 105 degrees, and he was playing like a madman. It was four days of summer camp in the middle of July, and this guy's playing every position. I put him at right field. He's a shortstop. I put him at right field. He played like a madman. I put him at third base. He played like a madman. I put him in left field. He played like a madman during the inter-squad afternoon, the inter-squad. And it was 105 degrees. And then I knew his dad. So we offered him a scholarship on the spot. We're fortunate. We get it. But here is the beauty of Alex Mejia. In 2012, we have this narcissistic young man, redshirt freshman, and he's a pain in the you-know-what. Hmm. Midway through the season, I have a staff meeting, and I say, you know what? i got to get rid of this guy. But he's not going to play this year. So coward that I am to my coaches, I said this. I said, coward that I am. And we were a good team. I didn't know we were going to win the national title, but we were a good team. I said, coward that I am. I'm just going to let the season wear out and at exit interviews into the season. I'll tell him, you know, he needs to move on to a different environment, someone that's going to pamper him and, and cater his wants and needs uh, more so than we are. Okay. Two days later, 
uh, I, I had always jogged every day and all the rest. My, the, the hardest surgery was genetics for my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa. But I genetics caught to me, basically. But I, I'm taking care of myself. I knew my heart, my background with my parents. So I jogged every day, and I was in the clubhouse jogging two weeks after this meeting, my staff meeting. And I was jogging on the treadmill, and this young man, this redshirt freshman, that was a, a pain in the you-know-what, very, very selfish, very, very me, 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 me. He walks in, he says, uh, Coach Lopez, can I talk to you? Well, he called me Lopes. Hey, Lopes, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, what's up? He says, uh, I, I've decided uh, I'm going to move on from the program. This is about 20 games left in the season. I said, you're going to what? He says, well, to be real honest, I just got cut. And I went, wait, 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 wait you what? He says, yeah, Mejia just cut me. Hmm. And I went, who? He said, Alex Mejia. I said, what do you mean, Alex? He said, well, he just, he saw me in the club. I said, hey, you know what? You're not a team guy. You're not in it for the right reasons. You don't care about whether we win or lose. You just care about playing time, and, and you're not even playing right now. So you know what? Why don't you just get your stuff and beat it? And he did. He left. <laughs> and that player had no knowledge of your meeting because it was a closed-door meeting with coaches. He just was a leader None that, whatsoever. That, that identified it and just said it was time. So he, he, made, he made your job a little bit easier. Yeah, he did, and, and to this day, I just talked to Alex, Alex last week, and uh, I stayed in close contact with him, but, you know, I, I just, I, I, was, I was always amazed when I had the David Eckstein's, the Mark Ellis's, the David Ross's. I mean, what David Ross has experienced right now does not shock me in any way, shape, or form. You know, I mean, Grandpa Rossi with the covenants that. David Ross, what he caught for me at the University of Florida was as great a leader as I've ever been around as a, as a player. Intangibles off the charts. So, I mean, those things, what people think aren't all that important, are really probably the most important thing you can have in a team sport. Mm -hmm. Not tennis, it's not golf. You're one of 35 guys, so you better have some intangibles in you. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Now, when you talk about, you know, over the years and, and recruiting, what if you could just lay a blueprint out or, or you know, like Mark Cuban would to a an entrepreneur say do this this and this and you'll be successful is there and I know recruiting is not a science it's still a guessing game it always will sure. be but is there anything that you could in your experience share with a parent or student athlete to prepare yeah. themselves to have a more maybe a successful process it doesn't mean D1 it means continuing uh -huh. on the college level right one do the best you can academically because there's only 11.7 scholarships and no matter what anybody says up there the last Full scholarship I offered was 1994. Mm. In, in 1994, I offered a full scholarship. I never offered a full scholarship after that. Um, you know, there wasn't one guy on the 2012 national championship team was on, that was on a full scholarship. In fact, the most uh, the most that somebody was on was our was our Friday night guy, Kurt Heyer. Our Friday night pitcher was on, I think, 68% scholarship. 68% scholarship. Okay, uh, so parents. Um, your sons, your daughters, they need to do the best they can with their academics because if you can include a little bit of academic money with your baseball scholarship, if that's possible with that particular institution under NCAA rules, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty good situation. And you become very attractive. You become a little bit more attractive to the scholarship offer, so to speak. So academics would be number one, and, and, and again, aside from talent, obviously. And, and let me say this. You know, to any young guys that might be listening to this, or parents, or coaches, or whatever, 
you know, I was always amazed. I used to make this statement all the time in the last ten or 15, oh, last five or ten years of my career. There is no magical technique out there. There is no magical technique that's going to let you win 12 games as a pitcher. It's going to make you feel 985 as an infielder or let you hit 360 as an outfielder. There's no magical technique. It's hard work. It's blood, sweat, and tears. There are no magical techniques. I'm sorry. I never saw it. They don't have an I app. Guys. They don't have an app for that. I thought Zep Zep had an app for that. <laughs> yeah, they probably. They, they, <laughs> they, 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 they got blood, sweat, but, tears yeah. app. <laughs> That's what they yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's the other thing I used to tell my players all the time. My players used to drive. They used to, I'm sure I drove them nuts. I said, "Tell us, you know, the drive home, the drive, D R I V E, home, H O M E. The drive home is different now." When I was a young man growing up, my father was from Mexico. He gained, he gained his citizenship in this country by going to the Second World War and serving in the, in the Pacific Theater during the Second World War. When he drove me home from a game, he would tell me, I got to get better. I got to work harder. I got I to gotta hustle more. I got to do this. I got I to, you got to get son, you got to get better. Son, you got to do this, that, 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 that. You know, son, come on, you know, if you want to be good at this, you got to work a little harder. Son, you got to do this, you got to do the drive home now is your coach is nuts. Your coach doesn't know what he's doing. You should be playing more. You're the best player in the country. What's going on with your coach? The drive home, the drive home needs to change. You need to self you need to self evaluate a lot more when you talk about this recruiting thing. What would you tell parents? One is academics. Two is I would say be real tough on yourself. You know, don't 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 have to talk yourself off a cliff now. You know, don't do that. But be tough on yourself. Really be tough on yourself. How can you get better? What area can I get better at? Tell me. Go to a coach. Say, coach, tell me where I can get better. Tell me what you think I need to do to get better. Be be really tough on yourself in terms of self. The drive home. Make sure the drive home is not how bad your coach is, but how can I get better? Okay. And then the last thing, quite candidly, would be play as hard as you can possibly play when you get on the field. Because I guarantee there are 80% of the coaches out there that are going to notice you when you do that. I guarantee it. If I had a dollar for every time I went to go see player A, but player B was running all over the field like a madman, and I left and went, yeah, I like player A, but, man, what about this player B? What about this player B? In fact, I will share this with you, AJ. I had a, I had a, recruiting, I had a recruiting philosophy that was very simple. I used to tell my coaches this. we got to get a few ones. We have to get a few ones. By ones, I mean those guys are just, my wife could go see that guy and say, hey, you need that guy. That guy's going 93 miles an hour. Hey, you need that guy. That guy's six foot three, and he's a he's a six six sixty guy. Hey, you need that guy. That guy he looks like a magician at short thumb. That's a one. That, I used to call that guy. You're from the Lucky Gene Club. So you need a few ones. You need a few ones, and then you need a bunch of threes. And what are the threes? Alex Mejia is a three. Alex Mejia wasn't recruited by too many guys in LA, but he came here and he worked his tail off. David Eckstein was a walk-on for me at the University of, of uh, at the University of Florida. Walked on. Mark Ellis, Mark Ellis 
signed his senior year from the University of Florida, and I can say this, Mark and I are good friends, for twelve hundred dollars. Mm. His last ten years he was making six point two million dollars a year as a starting second base for the Oakland A's. Okay? Uh, these guys worked their tail off. They were threes. They weren't bigger, they weren't stronger, they just worked. They they weren't they weren't looking for the magical technique. They just showed up every day and worked before practice, during practice, and after practice. So you need to you need a few ones. You need a few ones because those are the superstars. You need those guys to be real good. But then you need a lot of threes. You need a lot of threes. Great makeup, good students, great intangibles, and they work their tail off. And stay away from the twos. Stay away from the twos. <laughs> the tweeners. Who are the twos? The twos think they're ones and don't <laughs> want to be the – but they think they're ones, but they don't want to admit they should be a three. Those guys drive you nuts. There's a ton so of them. So if I'm a young man, if I'm a young man, I'm going to do my best to either become a one, and everybody's going to know me, and I'm going to be a potential first-round draft pick out of high school or junior college, or first-rounder or second-rounder, or I'm going to make sure I'm a three. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to be at practice before and work hard. I'm going to be at practice during practice and work hard. I'm going to stand a little bit after practice, too, and work hard. I'm going to become a three. The irony to it is that there's a lot of threes in my life that became, guess what, ones. They did. A lot of threes. I had, in my coaching career, there are a few threes that showed up as threes, and they worked their tail off, and you know what? They became ones. They became ones, which is pretty special. Yeah, one of the things we do when we evaluate or, or try to work with student athletes and parents is we ask, you know, what, what's your strengths, your weakness, your opportunities, your threats? What do you need to work on? And they don't even know how to answer that question. They don't, right. they, they're not prepared or say, what do you bring to the table? Or what would your coach say if I'm a head coach at a university and I call him right now, what is he going to say about you? And you get into that whole relationship and character and sweat equity, and that stuff does matter. You can't measure heart. I mean, you can if you go out there and watch and see how hard they work, but it's great advice. Now, what about uh, training? I mean, what's you know, obviously with technology and all the great big facilities, I mean, the, the game and the mechanics don't change as much, and the technology helps measure, but it doesn't make you better. What do you think uh, some advice would be for that high school athlete? And they don't have to be loaded, to, you know, have a lot of money to go pay for trainers. or What, what can they do to get themselves better? You know, is it play the game as, as much as possible, or is it take more BP? Yeah. What is it? I, personally, I think you just have a if you, if you if you you have to want to love the game and want to succeed in the game. First of all, the game of baseball is vicious, and and, and you have to come to that realization it's vicious. I played basketball, baseball, football was in the era in the seventies where I did all three in high school. I know that's unheard of nowadays because of specialization. But but you know when my kids were were growing up, I have two boys that both played for me at the University of Arizona on that national championship team. In fact, one played backup second base when there was a pitcher. And I used to tell my wife, because I've got two daughters as well, I used to tell my wife, when the boys start playing athletics, and I told my boys, my boys played basketball, soccer, football, and baseball in high school, and I said, um, I said, Linda, when you go see the boys play, you're going to love it when they're playing everything but baseball. You're going you're gonna to have a time of your life in the stands watching those two boys play, except when they're playing baseball. She looked at me, what, what, what? My wife didn't have much of a ba athletic background. I said, well, in football, nobody's going to know if they've made a mistake unless it's a coach. You know, come on. And basketball, nobody's going to know unless it's a coach. But in baseball, guess what, Linda? 
when David's playing second base and the ball goes right through his legs, everybody sees it. And when David gets to the plate and he strikes out with bases loaded, everybody sees it. And when Michael gets on the mound, he was a pitcher, when Michael gets on the mound and pitches, and he walks the winning run in, everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. And when he gives a ball, everybody sees it. The game is vicious. First and foremost, understand what you're trying to handle. You're not handling uh, a little a little frog. You're handling a snake, a game that if you're successful seven, right, if you're successful three out of ten times at the plate, mm-hmm. you're, you're what everybody wants. So that means you have to fail. You can fail seven times and still be a, what everybody wants, a 300 hitter. But you have to deal with that failure. And same with the pitcher. You have to deal with that failure. So the game is really a, a game that's built on a lot of failure, and it, you really have some men- you have to have some mental toughness. So when you talk about what about training, what about this, what about that, first and foremost, I would go to the young man and say, hey, do you really like this game? Because if you really like this game, then get out of the game. Because you're going to have to really love this game. Because this game is going to treat you really poorly. It might not happen in high school, but I guarantee if you continue to play it, there's going to be a stretch in the season where you're going to sit around in college baseball and stare at the window or stare at the ceiling of your dorm room and think, oh, my God, what, what am, I, am doing? I doing? <laughs> yeah. Right. Been there. I've so been there. It, it, yeah. So if you like the game, that's nice. Everybody likes something. But you better really love this game because you know what? It's going to really treat you poorly somewhere in your career. It really is. Okay. So with that statement now intact, yeah, I really love the game, then I would say, okay, then find some place that you can work out and be by yourself or with one instructor, not 15 instructors, but one guy that can really watch you and know your stroke or know your delivery and know your release point, and you can go to that guy whenever you get a little bit out of sync, just one individual, whether it's your dad, whether it's your high school coach, whether it's an ex-teammate, or whether it's a specialized coach, that's great. I don't have any problems with that either, but not five guys. Not five guys. No one guy that really knows who you are. And then play the game as much as you can because you get better. I agree with your statement a while back. You get better playing the game. You don't get better um, sitting and watching it. You get better playing the game. So play the game. Play the game as much as you can. Now we're going to end this segment with what I call champion moments and challenges. Looking back at your high school career and also college and then coaching, what were your challenges in those respective orders? So we're talking challenges like what really stuck out for you in high school, college, and coaching career that you said, man, this is just tough. So what, what comes to mind when I ask you that about high school? What was a challenge that just was kicking your tail in? As a coach? No, high school player. As a player, okay, yeah. I, I came from a really good high school in Los Angeles, uh, big leaguers. Uh, uh, Joel Malpatano was third base coach for Los Angeles Dodgers for my high school. Uh, Gary Maddox, nine-time gold glove oh, winner for the Philadelphia yes. Phillies. Uh, Alan, Alan Ashby caught for 14 years at the Houston Astros. Uh, I was teammates with those guys. And so we, we were very successful high school, a very successful high school program. And um, and so the expectations were there as soon as you walked in and, and put the uniform on. Um, uh, my biggest challenge as a high school player was uh, managing the expectations. Managing the expectations. I got a taste of it 
as soon as I got to high school, we were not supposed to lose, period, in the story. We were not supposed to lose. So on those rare occasions when we did, it, it really, really affected me and, and took a little bit of the joy away. I, took me, uh, I went to junior college after that, and, um, and I kind of got my joy back. Kind of got my joy back. But I, I, my high school career was a, a good one, uh, not a great one. I didn't set imagination, a good one. But but uh, but one that I, I I don't think I really enjoyed it as much as I should have. And I would tell every high school athlete to enjoy it because it really does become uh, a lot more stressful as you go on. If you if you do go on, it becomes a little bit more of a job. It becomes a little bit more stress, and there's a lot more at stake. And I I, I did it in reverse. Believe it or not, they say I did it in reverse. My high school experience was like a job. And because of that experience and the stress that I felt and the expectations that I couldn't meet sometimes, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to have a dang good time uh, from that point on. And I, and I really did. I had a great time playing junior college baseball and playing at UCLA. I had a, a great time. I, I, I played with a lot of joy and a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, excitement. And I don't think I did that as a high school player. So I would say try to enjoy that high school career. What about the largest challenge in, in college? It could be at JUCO or at UCLA. And it doesn't even mean as a player, just just a life lesson. Yeah. Uh, my junior college experience was an interesting one. I led the state of California in 1972 in airs as a shortstop. <laughs> and, for, and for those that don't know this, the state of California has a lot of human beings mm -hmm. and a lot of junior colleges. <laughs> that's, a good, so, that's a good feat. It's accomplishment. Oh, yeah. That's a heck of an accomplishment. And I lived the state in errors. And I remember when the season ended, uh, I was a very good hitter. I turned into a very good hitter in junior college. I matured and got a good hitting plan. And, and, and that's why I gave you advice a little while ago. I, I stopped listening to 15 people and started listening to one person in particular. And I, I, I got rid of all the noise and listened to one guy and, and really paid attention to what he was saying to me and what I was feeling. And, and I, I got my, my stroke back, so to speak, in, in, in terms of, of hitting. I didn't hit that well in high school, and I should have, but I hit way better in high in junior college. But but my defense, as I mentioned, absolutely disappeared, and I was horrible as a shortstop. Horrible, absolutely. In fact, I was deeper in the alphabet. I was with a Z. I was zorable as a shortstop. <laughs> and, um, um, and at the end of that summer, I remember sitting down with myself, as I said earlier, and I self-evaluated. And uh, I didn't blame my coach. I didn't blame the field. I didn't blame uh, anything except I said, you know what? I gotta get better. And so I spent the entire summer taking ground balls, throwing balls off the garage wall at my house, uh, literally throwing a tennis ball off the garage wall at my house and catching it one-handed, barehanded with one hand, taking any ground balls everywhere I went. I took ground balls. I had a guy, a buddy of mine, who was uh, in pro ball and he came back home from an injury. He was a pitcher, and I would catch his bullpen. While he was going and rehabbing, and in exchange, he would hit me ground balls. I used to cut deals with guys that hit me ground balls, hit me ground balls, hit me ground balls. Two years later, I was outstanding defensive player in the Pacific 12. Well, I was a Pac-6 conference back then. There weren't as many teams. I was an outstanding defensive player at UCLA, outstanding defensive player. And honestly, I was drafted based off of my defenses at shortstop. So, so I went full extreme in both ways. Um, so for me... Uh, the junior college experience was that I was horrible at short, and I had to come to a hard realization. And then my college experience at UCLA, quite candidly, was just, I had a good time, man. I'll tell you the truth. I just said, I'm going to have the time of my life here. And I'm really thankful I did. 
And um, as I mentioned, I would I would recommend anybody to do that. And I saw a lot of guys that did have a good time. I saw a lot of guys. I saw a lot of guys at UCLA experience what I saw as a college coach. Um, I can I can say this with uh, a heavy heart, but I had a young man commit suicide uh, my uh, second to last year at the University of Florida. I had a young man uh, go into an insane asylum. Uh, one of my years at Pepperdine. I had a young man. Um, uh, I had a young man have a, a mental issue at the University of Arizona, uh, all because of the stress and uh, the noise, be it from parents. Quite candidly, one of the one of the three situations I just shared. Two of the three were because of parents undue pressure from parental expectations, and um, and then the other was just a tragic, just a girlfriend relationship. Um, and so I, I've lived those three things firsthand and seeing young young men uh, take a college baseball experience and turn it into um, literally a, a insane asylum and literally a, you know suicide and, and literally where the, the person was in a catatonic state in front of his locker uh, before a game so uh, tragic tragic but a very but a, a, a very real experience for me so would that lead into your top challenge in college as a coach is, is dealing with that or is there I mean, yeah uh, no it was it was making sure that my guys now you know can ask anybody to play for me that's saying my guy is a madman uh, I was very demanding I was a, a very strict disciplinarian I was demanding I was the yelling and screamer uh, I had a rule uh, like I said I had two rules in the program be on time to do things right but I had another rule practices belong to me practices were mine they belong to me, and games belong to you in terms of the team. In other words, I wasn't going to yell at you in the game. I wasn't going to embarrass you in the game. I wasn't doing anything in the game. It was, a, it was a night for you to shine in front of your mother, your father, your grandmother, your girlfriend, your high school coach. Have a good time. If you make the worst error known to mankind, relax. We'll figure it out after the game. But just go out and play hard. Games were yours. I didn't even coach third base. Games belonged to you. I ran the offense from the dugout. The practices were mine. Practices belonged to me, and I was going to get you as ready as I possibly could to uh, to be ready to play this weekend. But more importantly, I was going to try to get you ready for what life was going to encounter, and life was going to be an absolute bitch. Life is not easy. Life is very hard. I used to tell my players uh, the very first day of practice, very first day, our first team meeting. The very first team meeting, I would read uh, the uh, very first sentence in the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the very first sentence, and every every guy that was in my program knew exactly what I was going to do because they did. But every first meeting, I would open up that book, and I'd say, okay, folks, here it is. Ready? I, I would encourage you to buy this book if you can, because I've read it a million times, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. But the very first sentence really encompasses everything. Life is difficult, period. That's it. Life is difficult. And it's not fair. And there's no guarantee that you're going to be a first-rounder. There's no guarantee you're going to get a six-figure job and get your degree from here. Uh, Life is difficult. So my programs were run very hard. I was tough on my guys, very demanding on my guys. But in a real strange way, I was was always trying to keep them loose in, in little goofy ways. I always did some goofy things and 
You know, when a guy was hit a line drive, I would yell out of nowhere, hot chocolate, you know, hot coffee, hot coffee. You know, and so I try to do some silly things with our guys to try to keep them loose. But I also was very realistic and very honest that, you know what, these guys are going to leave me, and 1% of them, 1%, 1%. Mark Marcus and I, here, here's an interesting statement. Mark Marcus, the coach of Stanford, who's retiring this year. He's been there for 41 years. He and I are dear, dear friends. I coached for 33 years at the college level. Mark Marcus coached for 41 years. Great program at Stanford. Big leaders galore and all the rest. I've been very fortunate. I had 41 guys sign professional contracts and all these other things, so on and so forth, and get to the big leagues, okay, if on and off, okay. All right. My point was this. I asked Mark Marcus about three years ago. I said, Coach, how many of your guys made a career out of it? By career, that means 10 full years where you're fully vested in your retirement plan where, you know, after you're 64, 65 years of age, you get, you know, six-figure money every every month, okay? How many guys actually made it a career in the big leagues for you, Coach? The two of us were, were sitting at, at Palo Alto, California before a game. We were talking about recruiting this and that. And uh, between the two of us, between the two of us now, he's won two national championships, I did two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, big leaguers. Um, between the two of us, we came up with 10 names. Hmm. 10. 10. That made a career. Not got to the big leagues. Well, I had a lot of guys get to the big leagues and spend two or three years, but then get sent down to AAA and then back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But they never got 10 years in the big leagues where they're fully vested for their retirement. Okay? Mm -hmm. 10, years is a, 10 years is what you want. And he said, we were talking about saying he's we counted about 10 guys between the two of us. So I knew that the guys who were going to play for me at Florida, Arizona, Pepperdine, and all the rest, yeah, they had visions of grandeur. They're going to be in the big leagues for 10 years. That's great. That's great. That's great. But you know what? Let's be realistic. 1%. 1% is going to make it. Have a career. So that means you're probably going to be like everybody else. You're going to have to go out there and fight for a job in, in the real world. So I was trying to get our guys ready to do that. So that was a big thing for me in, in the college baseball level. Getting you, guys ready for the real world. Do you think that, and, and, and you see a rash of it, a lot of coaches in, in the middle age are kind of walking away or starting to voice their opinion about, I just can't coach these kids, they're not. Do you think coaches are starting to get really restricted from maybe ADs or media influence on their coaching style? I, I mean, I know well, in I'm my not. experience, I just at I the high it. school, college, you know, arena football level, it was like, it's different at pro. It is what it is. But at high yeah. school and college, it's almost like these coaches just really can't. You know, they, you love your guys. Yeah. That doesn't change. Yeah. But you could be tough. You need to be tough. And it seems like these coaches can't as the years go yeah, on. I was, I was really tough on my guys. Anybody that played with me would tell you that, boy, he was really tough. And I wasn't the right fit for everybody, and I used to make that statement all the time, even in recruiting. Even in recruiting. There's a young man right now that pitches, is pitching the big leagues, and during my recruiting pitch, his mom looked at me and said, oh, you yell and scream? I said, when I have to. When I have to, yes, I do. I said, well, he's not going to respond that very well. I said, well, then this isn't the right place for him to come. This is in Arizona. And he went to another school, and he's in the big leagues right now as we speak. He's pitching the big leagues, and he's having a great career, and life is great, life is grand. But I was very honest. I said, I'm not the right guy for everybody. I'm not the right guy. I'm not Mr. Rogers. I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. Um, it's going to be tough out here some days. There's going to be days where you hate me. There's going to be days where you sit around and think, 
my God, this guy is an idiot, and so on and so forth. But I'll say, but but I but I told my guy when I was telling him, but I'm going to be honest with you. When you get done playing for me, if you want, I will be your friend for life. And and I'm probably when you're, more when you're done, with, right? When you're done. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah, I don't need you as my friend now. You 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 got your buddies as your friend right now. You and I are in a player coach relationship. We got to get we got to get ready for. Pac-12 baseball or the SEC baseball, and we got to get ready for life. Because in five years, you're going to be making lifetime decisions. I, I want to see you make good decisions. You know, again, be on time, do things right. I want to see you do things right. Anyway, I'm probably more proud of this than the three national coach of the year awards, the two national titles, and all the rest. And, and I will give you the names. Judd Blatchford played for me at, at Pepperdine University. Ronnie Hobson played for me at Dominguez Hills. And uh, Octavio Medina played for me at Florida. And I have a young man that's going through something right now that plays for me at the University of Arizona. I won't mention his name. Um, Judge Blatchford and I talked every day for a year and a half because his wife Janet was dying of cancer and called me at 3 in the morning when she was passing away. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found the phone and prayed with him while we, while we were talking. Bonnie Hobson played for me at Dominguez Hills, and um, his wife was dying of cancer, and we talked for about uh, once a week. Once a week, I would, once a week, I'd get on the phone with these guys and we would just talk, how's it going, and so on and so forth. Judd was raising his two daughters, his daughter and his son. Ronnie was raising his two daughters. Octavio Medina uh, picked up a rare form of, of blood disease and, and fought for his life, lost his hair, lost his vision. In 2008, we went to a super regional at Miami, and he came to the game with a cane, a white cane. He caught for me at the University of Florida, and I stayed in contact with Octavio and his family for a good two years. Every week, we would talk on the phone. Every week, we would talk on the phone until he passed away. And I'm a young man right now that I talk to once a week that played for me here at the University of Arizona. And uh, his dad has a rare form of, of a disease on his brain, and, uh, 61 years of age, and, and, and he's, he's just he's losing it. He's, he's going to die soon. So, so as tough as I was with my guys, as I told him, you know, if you hang here for four years, you and I will be friends for life, if that's what you want. And so I've, I've got these relationships with these players. I still stay in contact with David Eckstein and David Ross, and I text each other with his Dancing with the Star stuff and all the rest of this stuff. <laughs> but, but during, but during the, the time they play for me, no, we've got to get you ready for life. We've got to get you ready for life. Now, your question was, do you think it's tougher for some of the older guys? And my answer to that would be, without a doubt, yes, because it was tough for me. My heart surgery sped up the process, but I knew there was no way I would be coaching in the next five years. After the national championship, I was offered a contract extension. I said, I don't want it. And they looked at me like I was nuts. What do you mean? Well, I said, I I'm not going to be doing this much more. I'll, I'll live off the next three years. This is 2012. I'll live off the next three years, but I think I'm going to get out soon. I've been saving my money. I think I'm going to get out soon. And they asked me why. I said, because I'm not sure... I'm as good as I used to be for young people. Wow. And and I'm not sure you guys can take some of the emails that you've been getting over the last couple of years and you're going to be more, you know, are you going to be as resilient in the days to come to my administration? Because I knew, I knew, there was, I knew, you know, I used to get the emails too, you know. You yell and scream too much, you're too tough on them, you're this, you're that, you're this and that, you're this and that. The irony to it is, is I would call, or ex-players would call me, or I would talk to them, they'd call me, and I'd say, hey, Thug, you know, I apologize. And you know what? To a man, AJ, I mean this with all sincerity. 
I have never talked to an ex-player, and I say this very humbly, honest to God, I'm, I'm just honest to goodness when I say this, five out of seven days a week I hear from an ex-player. I did it for 38 years in, in L.A., in Florida, here in Tucson. I hear from an ex-player either email or text message or phone call, and I hear from ex-guys. And we laugh and we joke about things, this, that. And you know what? I, to a man, they say, Coach, you got me ready for life. You got me ready for life. I'm going through a divorce. Coach, you got me ready for life. I've been diagnosed with skin cancer. Coach, you got me ready for life. I just got fired from my job for no reason, Coach. They're just, you know, they bought us, they bought the corporation. I, I got, Coach, you got me ready for, you know, and I don't take credit for that. I give credit to my coaches when I was a young man. When I was a young man and Jim Satius and Mel Mothershead and Norm Jacob were yelling and screaming and making me run and do things that I thought these guys were idiots and I thought they were nuts. <laughs> I couldn't believe where they were. And then when I got over, I went, you know what? Those guys wanted to get me ready for life. And so did my mother and father. So, yeah, I think it's tougher. I think it's tougher. I really do. And, and I'm sorry to say that. I really am sorry to say that. Because life has changed. Life has changed a lot. Well, it's, and, it's, you know, it's changed even on my end at 44. You know, I, I got lucky to get a really big job. And when I was interviewing the interviewer, I said, why did you select me? And I'm sure you had a pool of people with, you know, maybe better degrees or, or just more to offer. And, and the answer of that employer was because in the personality section, you said that you don't become friends with coworkers. I said, well, I'm not there yeah. to be friends. I'm going to treat people with respect, but I'm also going to lead by example. I'm going to do, if it means clean the toilets or do the whatever I need to do to show people the job can be done, I don't need to hear an excuse that it can't be because I already did it. And I still right. lead by that way because I want to fail and do things and learn and then say, oh, I dealt with that. This works. This doesn't work. But become friends later and end up giving me a really good opportunity for a long time. And it, it was shocker because I had really tough love and I understood it, even though it was disrespectful at times. The stuff that goes on now in the HR world, even the, the radio, I mean, you've got Bill O'Reilly's, you've got guys quitting jobs, guys getting fired because they looked at somebody wrong. or It's just a different world. And, yes. you know, in between the lines, I, I saw that, you know, and I was aware of it being in this business that you left for health reasons. But sometimes you look at it and say, is it truly just that? And ironically, you offered it up and said, I just think it's it's the changes are too much for my style, and I'm not going to change who I am. And right. the, the the word of advice to these you know student athletes and parents, and most of them won't listen to this statement, but they pick universities based on the field, the venue, the lockers. You got colleges right now making lockers that are digital screen, air cooled, app driven, all this crazy mm -hmm. stuff, and kids are coming out of the woodwork to go to that school because it's got the coolest locker, and no one is saying, what's going on with this coach? I mean, there are kids that will sit down and interview you as a coach, and the family that will interview you and say, you know, you're going to be taking care of my son now. You're going to be like a, a father figure to this young man. But I right. think that's starting to go away, and it's just, you know, he may not be here next year. Who cares? It's the best facility, and most of the guys that go here go pro, and that's why I'm going here. And they don't think about where the coach is, and I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, it's still a great sport. It's still a great uh, experience, and, and I have nothing but unbelievable warm feelings about it. But, um, you know, I, I turned to my AD in 2014 after heart surgery, and I said, hey, look, it, you know, I don't know how much more I'm going to do this, so you better be ready to hire somebody. 
And he looked at me like I was nuts. I went, no, I, I really don't. I said, I'm not the same guy on the field. Um, my energy levels down. I had two hernias after the surgery. And I said, I couldn't move around like I used to. I used to go batting practice every day. I'm, not, I'm just not the same guy. I said, but quite honestly, quite honestly I know you're getting emails because I'm getting them. And I'm seeing they're copying you. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? The day that I change, I would rather go out than, than change. And that wasn't being a hardhead. I wasn't an ogre. I wasn't George Patton. I wasn't that. No, like I said, I, I give credit to my mother and my father who were tough as nails on me. You know, both were depression kids. Both came from Mexico. Couldn't read the English language. My mom never drove a car in her life. She cleaned homes for a living. My father worked from 5.30 in the evening till 3.30 in the morning. I mean, I just saw these people work like crazy and love this country and discipline me and my brother and sister, and I'm indebted to my mother and father. Uh, I'm indebted to the high school coaches that I had. They were tough on me. Oh, my goodness. I had a high school. I was a quarterback in high school, and I had a coach that used to hit me in the helmet with his, with his whistle and call me. Now, my name is Lopez, right, AJ? My name is Lopez. And in 1969, Jim Satius would hit me in the helmet when I didn't read the free safety correctly and say, you bean bandit. <laughs> you bean bandit. Are you ever going to read that safety correctly? And ring, and my ears would be ringing, you bean bandit. And me, you ready? And me and Ruben Martinez and Tony Gonzalez and Robert Mendoza, all of us would walk home from practice, and we would laugh at him saying that about me. We would laugh. <laughs> That'd be a lawsuit how long, now. <laughs> how long do you think Jim Stacious would laugh today calling a coach, a player, I should say, a bean bandit? And I'm going to tell you this. This is ironic. When my mother and father, when they finally retired and used to walk, um, they'd go on a little walk through the neighborhood, Guess who they would walk with every day? I was now the coach at Florida, the University of Florida, and I would call my mother and father in the middle of the day and say, how you guys doing? I love them dearly for their toughness and their love for me. And I'd say, Mom, how you doing, Dad? How you doing? And they would say, oh, by the way, Coach Stacia said to say hello to you. And I said, really? <laughs> yeah, we walked with him every day, son. <laughs> we walked with Coach Stacia every day. He doesn't go away. You being bandit. <laughs> You being bandit. Yeah. Man. Well, you know what? I appreciate your time. I know you're you're retired, but you're still busy. You're not I mean you're you're just living life now to the fullest and enjoying <laughs> it. And I appreciate your advice, your wisdom and, and congratulations on your accomplishments and congratulations on working with those kids and, and you know, and the troubled youth and, and those things. Yeah. That's great and I'm sure that's, that's definitely Yeah, I'm sure it feels great. And, you know, thanks for being on and, and Hopefully we'll cross paths again soon. Okay, Jim, my pleasure. Can I end with one little quick story? Absolutely. I work with these at-risk kids, right? right. I got a kid named Gabe. I got a kid named Gabriel Morales, right? Mom, uh, mom put him and his little brother in a car and tried to run them off a cliff. They both survived. Well, they all three survived. She's now in prison. Dad is uh, is a crack, a cocaine addict. And uh, Gabe, I see him every Tuesday and Thursday. He comes in, he's 17 years old, and I'm trying to help him get some direction, go to junior college and say this, that. And I called uh, one of my old co- Well, I'm going to just say it. I'm going to say it. The coach at Cal Berkeley, David Esker, is a dear friend of mine. He's an outstanding coach at Cal Berkeley, the baseball coach. So he called me up. Hey, Lopes, how you doing? What's going on? I said, David, this is where my life has changed. He looked at it. He said, so I told a story about Gabriel Morales. 
mom puts him and his little brother, she's going to drive them off a cliff here in Tucson, uh, off a mountain range, I should say, and they, they survive it. You know, they, they don't go as far as they, the car goes, okay. And his dad's in crack cocaine, and, and, and I meet with Gabe every Tuesday and Thursday, and we just talk for 45 minutes to an hour and try to get I said, that's what I do now, David. He goes, oh, okay, coach, I got you. I said, yeah. Two years ago, if my player didn't get his glove that was given to him for free, then he'd get to order. Like, in other words, you get to order a glove at right. Arizona. Right. You know, $250 glove. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't show up with his name on it, he was upset. <laughs> I thought my name was going to be on it. <laughs> but we just gave you a $250 glove for free and instead of your name you have number five on it they forgot to put your name on it that's upsetting you two years later i meet with gabe morales twice a week and look him in the eye and say gabe you can make it man come on you can make it so uh yeah life has changed a little bit and that's not every college athlete but for those that are listening you don't want to be that guy if they give you a glove say thank you and play like a madman is Gabe still like is Gabe still looking for a school, or where are you at with that with him? We're trying to get him into junior college or into trade school right now. That's basically it. What's it? I mean, is there any way we can help out as far as facilitating, maybe marketing him, or do you think you got something close that that's going to you know I, him? I, yeah, yeah, I think he's going to stay, stay nearby. He's going to okay. stay close because he's still got family he needs to stay close to. He's got other issues, a little brother that he. Yeah. He literally takes care of it. I appreciate that, though. I do it. Yeah, it's a different situation because, I mean, you shotgun him around and call every coach, and you'll find him a home if he's got some talent. But yeah. that home exactly. in that situation may not be the best deal, and that's why I asked you know, right. politely, and yeah. and um, I appreciate that. No problem, man. Well, listen, I, it's been a joy uh, just talking with you, and hey, if we can do it in the future, feel free to call me. All right, I appreciate it. And then when I'm in town, I'm going to buzz you. We're, we do showcases, and I'm sure I'll be oh, around. Yeah. Are you going to be in? Are you in Arizona all the time? Or are you in Cali too? Or what's what's? Uh, back and forth. I, I spend most of my time. I'm retired here now in Tucson, so I'm most you know 80 percent of my time is here. And then other than doing Pac-12 television, I mean, where I'm in for the weekend and out. But you know, I go visit my sister in Los Angeles, but that's about it. But I'm 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 here most of the time. So 80 percent of your time is in Arizona, and 99 percent yeah. of your money is in California. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> well spoken. Well spoken, yes, without a doubt. All right, brother, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Jay, God bless and thanks for your time, buddy. All right, take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide.